Hello and welcome. You are listening to Growing Guilty Podcast. I'm Georgia. And I'm Greg. And this week, I believe we have quite a big case to cover. Is it the Columbine shootings, Greg? It is. It's a big case. There's a lot of details. We're trying to follow a bit of a script, a bit of a narrative to get to the roots of this case. So I'm quite excited to do this episode because it's a very famous one, but also one I didn't know that much about. So yeah, very excited if that's the right word, to talk it through with you today. Yeah, same. Actually, I haven't researched this case for a long time, so there's definitely details I've forgotten or missed, and I don't think we've covered a case quite like it yet on this podcast. So, yeah, I'm I'm intrigued. But before we get started, how's your week been? We haven't caught up since you came back from Italy. How was your holiday? Yeah, I think there is a lot to update on, isn't there? We've both been to Italy, which is cool. Mm-hmm. We both decided to do episodes every two weeks now instead of every one week, just so that we can try and put a bit more effort and time into them. And yeah, I suppose, yeah, other than like, uh, yeah, I went to Italy, which was lovely. We went to the East Coast, Ancona sort of way, and San Benedetto, if anyone listening is familiar with those regions. And yeah, it was lovely. I loved Italy, actually. I've, it was my first time I've ever been. The food was amazing. The sun was amazing. The beaches were amazing. So actually, just I'm already thinking of going back over. <laughs> I don't blame um, you. <laughs> it is great there. Yeah, I really would like to. So that's on the agenda. Um, but yeah, other than that, life is kind of normal. Work is busy, as always. But really exciting times right now. Enjoying working with everyone and... Still loving Cardiff. Good. How about yourself? Yeah, good. My holiday as well in Italy was lovely. We had great food, great wine. It is just such a stunning country. And like there's even the the countryside, there isn't anywhere quite like it. Uh, We were staying um, in like the Tuscan region. And yeah, it was beautiful, like 36 degrees as well. Super hot. And I didn't get too burnt, which is a win-win in my mind. (laughs) Oh, one thing I might not have told you about my Italy trip, actually. Oh, yeah? Was, did I tell you that I almost didn't make it? No. Oh, do tell. For the second trip in a row, I was ill. No. But this time it was, yeah, I know. Uh, this time it was food poisoning. <gasps> so I was I was leaving on Tuesday. And at about two in the morning on the Monday... I won't go into all the graphic details, but I <laughs> oh, no. was there was a lot coming out of my mouth. Actually, that's disgusting. <laughs> I'm gonna cut that out. Don't cut that out. <laughs> I'm cutting that out. That's gotta go. <laughs> get it, get it, get it, get it. <laughs> uh, I yeah, like it was if awful. Were, if you just said, "Oh, vomited," or like I threw up, like so much less graphic than I had it all going out my mouth. <laughs> Oh, brilliant no. brilliant but yeah it was it was awful i couldn't keep down like any liquids any oh. food i really was up against it and then i decided to commit because because I, I didn't make it to amsterdam when i bought flights there as well i was like Do you know what fuck it even if i chunder all over this plane i'm going you're going yeah at, at least food poisoning isn't contagious it's not as if you're going to pass it to any other passengers but Oh, to travel feeling that rough is, no, not good. 
Yeah, I was very ropey for the first day or two as well in Italy, which meant that I could, I, def, I didn't drink on the first day just because I couldn't. And then the second day I tried, but very little. Yeah. But the third day I was fine. I was smashing loads of wine and beers. It was great. <laughs> oh, it does sound like you had a good time. But, oh, so unfortunate. Hopefully next time you go away, you feel right as rain, leading up and during. That's the plan. Yes. That's the plan. No more chicken wings from a rogue takeaway the night before I leave. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, um, on other news, like I have just seen this new documentary series on Netflix, which I think you'd be interested in as well. It's called Web of Make Belief. And it has like six episodes and each episode is something to do with being online on the internet and how like crimes kind of develop. And the first episode I watched was all about swatting, which I didn't know how big it was in the UK. Um, not the UK, in the US. Where mm, I've heard about this. gamers will call the police armed response and say that, I mean, say all sorts of things to get a, like a police raid into that building and or evacuate a school or wherever. Um, and by just basically sharing their like that person's address and this one guy kind of like leads it all and he i i won't like i want you guys to watch it because it was really good but he was evil he's super like you, you see his eyes you know when you can just look at him you're like oh, oh my god you're gonna do such bad things um but i just i didn't know much about it and super interesting but unfortunately there is a really sad twist at the end and it's just, yeah, I don't know why people do it. But I really recommend it. Each episode is like really different, like a different theme. Um, but it's really good. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check that out. That sounds interesting. Crimes that are based on the kind of new structures that have been formed online are yeah fascinating to me. Yeah. Because I guess that would be the danger of, what's it called when all your details get exposed online? Yeah, there's a name for it. I can't remember. Doxing. That's it. Yes. Doxing. So yeah, I guess that's the danger of doxing. And yeah, swatting is something I've heard about. I've not read a lot about it though, so I'd be keen to try it out. Yeah. I mean, there's loads of like another episode on like the alt-right group and how that's developed uh, through online forums and things like, yeah, it's super interesting. Nice, nice. I'll check it out. That sounds cool. Cool. Shall we jump into the case? I think we should. The Avalde shooting has meant that the gun debate has picked up and raged on in the United States again. It's always interesting to watch the debate from afar over here in the UK. We don't really do guns. You can get one. But it's so challenging to get one that the only people that bother here in the UK are the ones that really need one. Interestingly, it took only one school shooting here in the UK for gun reform to be widespread. That school shooting was... Well, actually, Georgia, do you know the one school shooting that caused reform here in the UK? Oh, now you're testing me. Yeah, I'm putting you on the spot here. Yeah, I don't think I do, no. I I did it in school. I did it in school, so I think maybe that's why it was more... As in, I learned about it in school. Uh, that, uh, yeah. So that's why I think it's more I'm more familiar with it. It was actually called the Dunblane Massacre. 
And Ooh. I came very close to doing this week's episode on that case. However, I decided to do the American school shooting that, from where I stand, seems to be the most famous, or at least one of the most famous. Yes. That would be the Columbine High School Massacre. I realised I always hear it mentioned during the gun debates and when school shootings are discussed. Columbine is always mentioned. Yet, I'm not 100% sure why that is. So I thought I'd do an episode on it and we could try and find out. Yeah. It's not like school shootings in America didn't exist before Columbine. The first recorded school shooting dates back all the way to 1764 and is called the Pontiac's Rebellion School Massacre. Oh my gosh. Four Lenape Native Americans entered a school in what is now Pennsylvania and shot schoolmaster Enoch Powell along with nine or ten children. The figures vary. Since then, there have been literally so many school shootings that I cannot count them all. I actually found a list and couldn't be bothered to count there were that many. Wow. So, why is the 1999 Columbine High School shooting so infamous? Let's go through the case and see if we can figure it out. Just to add, before we jump into this one, my sources for this week's episode are an excellent All That's Interesting article from Andrew Lenoir, a Washington Post article by Valerie Strauss, and a range of other newspaper articles. Are you ready? Should we jump into this? Let's do it, yes. On the 20th of April 1990, Eric Harris marched towards Columbine High School. He was a student there, supposedly a straight-A student, in fact. However, he'd missed his morning classes that day and a philosophy exam. Harris pressed onwards, dressed in a trench coat. Unlike any ordinary student, Harris was carrying a High Point 995 carbine with 13 10-round magazines and a Savage Springfield 67H pump-action shotgun. His shotgun was sawed off to 26 inches, which is a felony as it makes the guns far more deadly. I think we discussed the details of that all the way back in episode 10 on Donald Nielsen, the Black Panther. I remember us outlining exactly why soaring off a shotgun makes it more dangerous and fatal more when deadly. shot. Yeah, absolutely. I remember us discussing that. But, oh, okay. So, yeah, Harris carrying a sawn off shotgun and a carbine rifle. In Harris's bag are several explosives, Molotov <laughs> cocktails, propane bombs, what? and pipe bombs, to name just a few. Oh my god, I didn't know that. Yeah, I actually, yeah, maybe we should stop there for a second, because I had no idea that explosives were involved in this school shooting at all. No, I thought it was just strictly guns, but oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, me too. But actually, when we get into it, you realise that this was, in essence, a completely bodged attempt to blow their school up, really. Oh my gosh. Okay. Wow. Harris planned to set these bombs off in the school cafeteria and car park. His forearm has a match striker taped to it so he can easily ignite the deadly devices. Then he plans to pick off any survivors with his gun. A horrendously thought-out plan, and the idea of an 18-year-old carrying so much firepower into a school is hard to wrap one's head around. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Perhaps the firepower involved is the reason number one for why Columbine remains so infamous. Yeah. Just the amount of planning that's gone into this. This has been thought out possibly for weeks. Like, oh my gosh. Even longer, even longer. It really is quite hard to wrap your head around. Okay, we'll get to that bit later. We shall. I believe reason number two for why Columbine remains so infamous is that Harris is not alone in this plan. He is paired up with the equally well-armed and equally dangerous Dylan Klebold. They both proceed into the school. But what brought them to this point? And how were two teenagers, still not out of school, able to hatch such a plan? Yeah. Harris was born in Kansas, but relocated often as a child due to his father working in the American Air Force. In 1993, six years before the massacre, the Harris family moved to Littleton, Colorado. Eric Harris's father retired from the Air Force and the family remained there. Dylan Klebold was Colorado-born and bred. Interesting fact, he was named after the Welsh poet Dylan Thomas, who I would... I know where. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Should be very familiar to me and Georgia, as he was born in Swansea. Swansea! Yeah, he was. Ah, very interesting. Indeed, yeah, that is a small, small, but weird connection. Yeah. Um, Actually been to Dylan Thomas's house. Have you? I have, yeah, yeah. It's near... Oh, we won't go into that, actually. No, no, we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> the pair met soon after Eric Harris's family moved to Colorado. By the time they were juniors in high school, they were described as inseparable. Some say Harris and Klebold were very unpopular students once they were upperclassmen and frequent targets of bullying, while others say they were not near the bottom of the school's social hierarchy and each of them had many friends, along with active social lives. This helps paint the initial narrative that may have made the Columbine shooting so popular in the media. Two students bullied until they decided to strike back against their tormentors. It was catchy, and the media ran with it. However, not only is it disputed that the pair were on the receiving end of such bullying, they also showed alarming behaviour throughout their teenage years. It is believed that Harris was a narcissistic psychopath and Klebold an aggressive depressive that lashed out at the world around him. Oh gosh, that sounds like a dangerous combination. It really does, doesn't it? And I think, I was thinking about this, whether if they were both alone, they would have actually gone through with a plan. Mm. I guess we'll never know. I guess we'll never know. Many times before the attack, Klebold wrote about plans to kill himself including stealing one of Harris's pipe bombs and strapping it to his neck. <gasps> Several other journal entries created by Klebold are signed off goodbye, as if he expected them to be his last entries. Oh my God. Neither of them were diagnosed with anything before the shooting, though, and their clean slate regarding mental health during the shooting is possibly another reason the Columbine massacre stands out. Harris began a website when he was 15, Initially, the website was used to host his levels on a video game called Doom, which you may be familiar with, Georgia, I don't know. Yeah, I've heard of that one. Yeah, me too. As the website grew and changed, Harris used it as a blog. He detailed how to make explosive devices, 
before moving on to rants that remind me a bit about Elliot Rogers. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely kind of this... It was less about girls, basically. You know, obviously Elliot Rogers was very focused and narrow on how unfair it was that he couldn't get a girlfriend. Far less of that, far less of that from Eric Harris. But a, a lot more, or very similar amount of isn't the world unfair. Hate. Yeah. Feels like he's hard done by. Yeah, and not only... I guess it is slightly different. It was, it was more... He felt that he was above everyone. In the sense yeah. that he he could see things that no one else could see because he was such a deep thinker. And his right. anger towards the world would often be rooted in the fact that people, you know, just joined the rat race and all that kind of stuff. And Okay, so everyone's kind of below him. He's far superior and more... In- would he go down the route of being more intelligent than everyone these people were? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, that's where the narcissism was kind of coming from was just his belief that you know he was just so above going through the motions mm. like everyone else. Interesting. Harris wrote on the blog about how much he wanted to harm a fellow student called Brooks Brown. When the parents of Brooks reported the website and Harris to the police, the troubling content was removed, and Harris began detailing his thoughts in a journal instead. It was actually Klebold that tipped off Brooks about the website. And no one really knows why he did that to this day, although many believe it could have been a cry for help about Harris's troubling behaviour. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. I wonder why. Mm. Yeah, apparently Klebold walked up to Brooks and gave him a a URL and said, you need to check this out. That seems strange, like, if he was trying to maybe prevent something from happening when later down the line he goes and well, like assists and does the damage himself. So I don't, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I actually think knowing what I know from the rest of the episode or from like writing the rest of the notes about this case, I actually think that's probably giving Dylan Klebold a bit too much credit. Yeah. Because I, I thought that when I wrote this, like, you know, I read this theory from somewhere else. And then because because Harris is the seen as like the psychopath and the narcissist and Klebold is like this kind of depressed dude mm-hmm. that's latched onto him initially I was like okay so maybe Harris is the instigator and he almost certainly is the driving force behind this but some of the things that Klebold does awful awful and shows that he's definitely got a very evil side to him very evil makes sense Klebold himself had actually already been keeping a journal since March 1997, and that's about two years before the attack. Klebold had suggested the attack within this journal as early as November that year. So <gasps> November 1997, the attack's kind of first mentioned, and that's like a year and a half almost before it actually takes place. Oh, wow. Okay. I, yeah, that's a mm. lot longer than a couple of weeks. Yeah, Definitely. Both Klebold and Harris would idolise and dream about these attacks, writing thoughts down in the journals, including what they'd wear to carry out the attack and how they'd do it. There was talk of escape to distant lands by hijacking airplanes, or even hijacking an airplane to crash into New York City. What? Yeah, very fantastical stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fantasy. Some of the details were alarmingly precise, 
Harris had even outlined all exit routes at Columbine High School so that he and Klebold could make them, their attack even more efficient. Alongside the journals, the pair also created a range of tapes that have since been destroyed. I believe all these writings and videos have played a part in ensuring Columbine remains so prominent. It almost gave the blueprint on how to create a memorable shooting. The media latch onto things like manifestos. Let's go back to the day of the attack. Klebold and Harris drove in separate cars to their school in Littleton, Colorado. They aimed to kill dozens of their schoolmates in a coordinated attack involving explosives and guns. They planned to detonate their propane bombs in the canteen during the busiest hour. That was to maximise casualties. Oh my gosh. They also left bombs in the parking lot, which they hoped would wound or kill emergency services arriving to assist survivors. This, is... this really is like quite strategical. Like they thought this through. They spent so much time thinking about how it's going to happen. And yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of planning, and but just evil as well. Like they really thought out how to yeah make it the most like deadly or like oh gosh okay yeah awful yeah the pair had to assemble the bigger bombs on the morning of the attack because obviously they could not hide them. This includes the car park bombs and another bomb the pair placed strategically in a park three miles away that they hoped would act as a distraction. (gasps) Fortunately, the pair completely screwed up creating detonators and it meant not a single bomb exploded during the attacks in the canteen or in the car park, as far as I can tell. Good. My gosh. At 11.19, as Harris marched into the school... He shot Rachel Scott four times with his carbine rifle, killing her instantly. Both Harris and Klebold then aimed their guns down the west staircase. Harris aimed his gun in the direction of three students. Daniel Rawbow, Sean Graves and Lance Kirkland. Tragically, the trio of students believed the guns were paintball guns (gasps) and continued to walk up the stairs beneath their attackers. Eric Harris fired nine times, killing Robo while injuring Graves and Kirkland. I remember hearing about that. It's so tragic that they just, yeah, wouldn't... I mean, you just wouldn't assume that someone has a live gun, a live weapon wanting to kill people. Yeah, you just wouldn't think that in a school. No. Not from one of your classmates either. Yeah, not at all. Klebold walked down the stairs. Kirkland was pleading for help. Klebold responded by saying, Sure, I'll help you, before firing his shotgun into Kirkland's jaw. Whoa. S- <sighs> yeah, it's at this point that I pretty much was just like, wow, Klebold is a fucking awful, awful person. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I already thought that before, but I was like, okay, this guy is actually pretty psychopathic as well. Yeah, it's not as if he's just being manipulated and, like, the ringleader... Harris and then him just accompany him. He's very much free will doing this by himself because he wants to. Absolutely. Somehow, Kirkland survived this second attack. Klebold stepped over Sean Graves, who was faking his own death, and muttered, Sorry, dude, as he did. <gasps> Arsehole. It's like they've so. It's like he's normalised it. Yeah. Klebold entered the canteen but did not fire at the several people inside. Meanwhile, the police responded. Columbine had a police resource officer assigned, Deputy Gardner, 
he exchanged fire with Harris from 60 metres away after Harris began firing at him. They both continued to exchange fire for a short while, but neither of them were hit. In the canteen, a school custodian, Dave Sanders, evacuated the students up the stairs to the second floor of the school. Sanders then tried to secure as much of the school as he could. Harris and Klebold had made their way inside the main hallway. There, they encountered Sanders and another student, and both of them began to flood. Harris and Klebold shot. A trigger warning on this one, it's pretty graphic. Sanders was hit twice, once in the back and once in the neck, and the bullet exited via his teeth. Oh my gosh. The other student was thankfully unhit. Sanders struggled into the science area, and there, a trained student administered first aid for three hours, but was ultimately unsuccessful. Oh, that poor student. And poor Sanders, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I think he was very heroic with his actions that day, Dave Sanders. absolutely. Absolutely. Harris and Klebold then headed into the library. Klebold fatally fired his shotgun at disabled student Kyle Velasquez. Harris and Klebold intermittently celebrated as they yelled and shot in the direction of police outside the library. Harris fired one shot through a desk, killing 14-year-old Stephen Kernrow. Harris then walked to a table south of the lower computer room, with two students underneath it, Cassie Bernal and Emily Wyant. Harris slapped the surface of the table twice as he knelt down and said peekaboo <gasps> before shooting Bernal once in the head with the shotgun, killing her. <gasps> Harris broke his nose because he fired the gun with one hand and it hit him in the face when it recoiled. Klebold and Harris went on to kill seven more students in the library. Isaiah Scholes, who the pair racially abused before killing, Matthew Kechter, Lauren Townsend, John Tomlin, Kelly Fleming, Daniel Mauser, and Corey DePuta, all were aged between 15 and 18. Harris and Klebold left the library and entered the science area, where they caused a fire in an empty storage closet. It was extinguished by a teacher who had hidden in an adjacent room. They also tried, unsuccessfully, to ignite the bombs in the cafeteria. By 12.08, both gunmen had killed themselves, and in total, the death count was 15, which included both killers. It's said that the canteen bombs not going off earlier in the attack actually rattled Klebold. There is CCTV footage from the attack. In fact, significant portions of the attack are captured, possibly another reason that Columbine is so famous. The reason it is believed that Klebold got rattled is because Harris and Klebold stood together in Klebold's assigned position. This is despite the attacks that they outlined saying they'd be apart to maximise firing power. It is therefore believed that Harris had to go to Klebold and convince him to continue the attack. And even then, Harris did a lot more shooting. Eric Harris used almost twice as much ammunition as Klebold, and Harris killed eight victims to Klebold's five. In the immediate aftermath, bomb squads combed the school and discovered the insane amount of bombs left by the killers. Impromptu memorials were held to remember the dead in the immediate aftermath. As time went on, speculation for possible motivators began. There were rumours that the pair of attackers had been bullied for years. There were stories of the killers being pelted with tampons, drenched in ketchup, and that they were regularly labelled faggots. Oh my gosh. It was known that bullying was often rife at the high school. 
However, some argue that Harris was more of a bully himself rather than a victim. Mm. And a lot of his behaviour in the build-up to the crime does reinforce that. The media latched onto other... And also, actually, also, I don't believe that any amount of bullying can account for killing 13 people that are practically strangers. Like These weren't specific people they'd gone into the school to kill. Yeah. I think there's also an argument that because of you know, the US's gun laws and things, that it's more accessible to gain guns. So if someone is hurting, feels the world's against them, and they are bullied, and there's more... I, I feel as though there's more of a chance that things like that, like this can go wrong, um, and shootings can occur because they feel so hard done by um, mm-hmm. because of the accessibility of guns. Whereas people here where we don't have the same gun laws and they are profusely bullied, that's not their point of call. Like That's not where their mind usually goes to, necessarily, because mm. it's just so inaccessible. Yeah, completely inaccessible here. Mm. The media latched onto some other possible motivators, and some of these are pretty far-fetched. Some pointed to the isolation of the pair as the reason, the sense they had no belonging. This is because... Both Klebold and Harris used to complain about the jocks that obviously they perceived as higher in social ranking than they were. There was also a group within the school called the Trenchcoat Mafia that began some some time before the attack. But it was said that Klebold and Harris were not part of this group, despite them wearing trench coats during the attack. Others believed that the attack could be politically motivated and that the duo saw it as a trigger for rebellion amongst the outcasts of the world. I think that gives them a little too much credit. Yeah. Some in the media pointed to the violent video games that the two used to play, specifically Doom, that we've already mentioned. I was waiting for that kind of angle. It it seems to always come into it, like video games or... They're obsessed with true crime and researched a lot of stuff. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, there's those angles always seem to come into these things. Always, always blame the the video games, and they actually tried to blame the music as well, specifically the music of Marilyn Manson as a contributor to the attacker's murderous rampage. Again, all this speculation on why two middle class teenagers committed atrocities could be another driver for Columbine's persistence in the school shooting debates. All in all, I think the Columbine effect perpetuates into a third decade due to a couple of key factors. Firstly, the documentation produced by Harris and Klebold is unparalleled. I believe they hoped that the creation of manifestos, journals, videotapes, etc. would lead to a legacy. And sadly, that seems to have worked. Which, I also suppose we're kind of perpetuating in a way, but... Yeah, true. It's... It's just part of it, I suppose. I don't think we're not glorifying, I suppose, is the key thing. But sadly, there are groups of individuals out there that will take an event like the Columbine Massacre and begin to glorify it and the perpetrators. Yeah, exactly. It's it's the angle that you're coming like coming from. And I think with us, like this is a very prominent case. We're searching researching it in, in a way that why is this? so famous why do people know about it and i think that's what we do with sort of all our cases of why would 
why would someone do this? What's led to them to get to this point? And and that's where our interest comes into it. But but yeah, you're right. It's yeah, it's the it's the angle. Yeah, it is. But it is quite fascinating that it has got such a legacy. So yeah, you're right. We are asking why rather than reinforcing it. But yeah. we might be inadvertently reinforcing it. But I think it's yeah. important for us to reference that. Absolutely. So yeah, the two killers, uh, obviously a huge amount of works in terms of manifestos, journals, videotapes, some of which have been released and some which haven't. But this also gave a unique insight into the heads of two killers that don't look capable of killing 13 of their classmates. 11 months before Klebold and Harris's attack, a 15-year-old student entered a school in Springfield and killed two students, injuring 25 others. He also wore a trench coat. So why don't people talk about the Springfield effect? Yeah. Well, this killer had been diagnosed formally as psychotic. And I believe there's something comforting about that. When we read about atrocities like Springfield's, it's tragic, but there's a very clear why. Mm -hmm. Why did the killer at Springfield kill his classmates? Because he was psychotic. It's very binary and it's easy. Yeah, I agree. It kind of closes that case, whereas when it's an unknown that's when it kind of induces panic and kind of spirals then out of control exactly exactly why did the killers at Columbine kill their classmates it's political it's revenge it's Marilyn Manson it's video games and actually it's a debate and debates live a lot longer in the memory combine that with the massive artifacts that the killers left behind and you have yourself a school shooting that will perpetuate for many many years after it occurred The problem is that there will always be children who are bitter at the world. There will always be children who have experienced trauma, that find themselves in a crisis, and sadly there will always be children who actively feel suicidal. The problem in America is that those children are able to access guns. When you strip away all the menagerie, that's what happened in Columbine. But it's the debate on the ancillary subjects, the school status, the bullying, the revenge, the cliques, and the politics that stops any meaningful methods to stop another Columbine being implemented. And I'm, you know, I, th- I guess I don't really have a stance on Amer- the American gun debate. I don't live there. It doesn't affect me. But it is just so interesting. And I don't know if, you know, some of our American listeners know this, but from the UK looking over, it's very confusing for us because we just do not have this problem at all. There. Mm. Uh, we have violence, we have knife crime that you know is a problem here in the UK, but it's dwarfed by the scale of the gun violence that we see in America. And it's very strange for us to see that. I agree. I think that, you know, it's so foreign to us to walk into a school and not feel safe. Like, the amount of times you hear about it on the news, gun school shootings and things like that, I, I can't imagine going to school and wondering if something like this could happen at the school you are at or that you know one of your friends that is in a school that it has had this happen it's that's so unsettling and it's just so something that we're not used to here yeah exactly like having to do drills for an active shooter and stuff like that yeah we do a fire fire drill once a term i think (laughs) absolutely yeah it's complete opposites how bizarre but anyway that is the case of the Columbine shooting there's of course a lot more details on this one a lot more granular outlines of the attack uh 
but it is a bit repetitive because so much of it takes place in that library massacre and uh, it didn't feel right to include it, especially coming from the angle of not trying to glorify this case. I did see a fact actually today, um, as you said you were going to be doing this case, I had a quick, like, quick brief look and I don't know if you know that it was actually this year, May 2022, which was one of the deadliest school shootings in the US ever at Virginia Tech Massacre, it's named. And, you know, 33 fatalities, 23 injuries. And, I mean, it's still happening. This was the Columbine shooting was in 1999. And we're now over 20 years later and it's still happening. They're still getting Mm. worse. Like, has anything changed? I don't know. No, it doesn't seem to have. Uh, Which is very sad, very sad. But I hope America can figure it out. I really do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that was a very interesting case. It's not something we've done before, like a mass shooting at a school. And it just, oh, it baffles me like someone that's 18 years old, two people coming together and creating this plan that is so well thought out. And they and they do it as well. It's not just a fantasy that they've created. They have physically gone and killed people, which, oh, it's just unbelievable. So sad, so tragic. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, it, I think that's one of the things that like stands out is like the image of two, well, they were 17 and 18 and walking into a school with the intention of killing all their schoolmates. It's just very hard to wrap one's head around. Yeah. Yeah, and you're still searching for the reason why. And I mean, sometimes there just isn't. There, there isn't a conclusion. I think humans always want closure. They want it to, you know, an, an end or an answer. And sometimes there just isn't one. Yeah. That's a good one. Good case, but heavy. <laughs> yeah, very, very heavy case. Very heavy. Great. Well, uh, do you want to run through the socials, Georgia, just in case anyone wants to share their thoughts on the key motivator for this attack? Absolutely. So you can visit our website, www.goringguiltypodcast.com. On there, you can leave reviews, give us some case suggestions. We greatly appreciate all of that. You can also send your case suggestions or your own personal true crime or paranormal stories to our email at goringguiltypodcast at gmail.com we actually haven't done one of those for a while so if you do have any stories send them in and we will do one shortly you can follow us on our social media our instagram at goringguiltypodcast or on our twitter at goringguilty on there you can chat to us and interact that'd be great and yeah if you did enjoy this episode let your friends know leave us a review and we hope you enjoyed and remember we won't judge if Gore is your guilty pleasure. Ooh, thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Bye.